The Mandy Connell Show is sponsored by Bell and Pollock Accident and Injury Lawyers. Now, it's Mandy Connell on KOA, 850 AM and 94.1 FM. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a Thursday edition of the show. I'm your host for the next three hours, Mandy Connell, joined, of course, by Skinny Eye, A-Rod, that's Anthony Rodriguez right over there, and Susan Witkin back in the news box. Uh, We have a lot of stuff on the show today. There's a lot of very interesting things out there right now. And the blog, if you looked at the blog early, I did a really early blog posting this morning because... I went on a field trip today with Crystal Alfonso, the wine yogi. We are bringing back uh, her tomorrow, not for a Thirsty Thursday, because it's Friday. But we're expanding, we're growing what we're talking about. So now we're going to make it a foodie Friday. And A-Rod, A-Rod, who has been so diligent with his soda weight loss, he is now in maintenance. He doesn't get a lot of treats, but... Uh, let's just say there's going to be some pastry in the house tomorrow that we're going to require that you taste because it's for the show, Anthony. It's for the show. Oh, I can dabble. Yeah. I can dabble now. Snacks and whatnot, but went to a phenomenal French bakery. We're going to tell you all about it tomorrow. If you work your butt off on Soda Weight Loss, (laughs) S-O-T-A weightloss.com, you then can get into maintenance and dabble just a little. Just dabble. A little dabble do ya. Little dabble do ya. That's all. So let me tell you what's on the blog, but I added some things. The reason I brought that up is not to tell you about my field trip, but I added some stuff to the blog just a moment ago, uh, maybe 10 minutes ago. As a matter of fact, it hasn't even updated on my blog yet. So let me see if it's come up here. I'm going to have to read it a different way because the stories at the bottom are really, 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 really good, and they have finally updated. So go to mandysblog.com. That's mandysblog.com. Look for the headline that says, Thursday blog, Aurora's new big proposal on homelessness is a step forward. Click on that, and here are the headlines you will find within. Good evening, Mr. Mrs. North and South American. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. Flash. Today on the blog, Aurora is proposing something bold and new for homelessness. It's time for Please Tell Me I'm Right with Charles Harrington Elster. Why is Phil Weiser at a fancy conference in Hawaii with companies he's suing? This is why Ron DeSantis is headed to being the nominee. About homelessness in California. Thinking of doing some world traveling? One more time, Jared Polis is not a libertarian. Vote no on the affordable housing proposition. Why did it take four years to stop this guy? One of the top Halloween attractions in the country is here in Colorado. Brand new Prime Minister Liz Truss has already stepped down. The left facing a reckoning on crime. The CDC voted to add COVID vaccines to the list of recommended kids' vaccines. American workers just say no to union... Amazon workers, excuse me, just say no to unionization. A new iPhone could sell for 30 grand. But there's a catch. This is why you don't get married during football season. Cooking bacon in water? Michael the Golden Retriever doesn't love Halloween. And now this video of something that confused me. Late editions, mainstream media finds out it's a threat to democracy. Why aren't we hearing much about abortion violence now? Those are the headlines on the blog at mandysblog.com on the KOA page, uh, KOA Colorado page as well. A couple of things right there out of the shoot, we are going to have a longer conversation about a bold new plan that Aurora is rolling out or they're trying to roll out. I don't know if you guys were listening. I don't know if it was last week. I feel like it was in the last two weeks 
where I just kind of threw out my plan on what I would do about homelessness. And my plan was create a big shelter, basically a shelter, a large shelter that you used as an intake center for people. And then use that to kind of figure out the kind of help that people living on the streets need. Some people, uh, a very small percentage in my view, are going to need just job placement help, maybe job training. So you funnel them into one funnel. And then uh, other people, I think a vast majority, are going to need some kind of alcohol or drug treatment. You funnel them into those facilities. You get people medical help. You help them detox. You provide a supportive, structured environment to move them to a place where they can move forward with their lives. But it's got to be big enough to house every single homeless person, right? And why is that, Mandy? Well, let me tell you. And I'm not going to get more into this right now. I'm just giving you a little taste. The reason you have to make sure you have enough beds to uh, house every homeless person on the streets in your area is that there's a Supreme Court decision from some years ago involving a case from Boise, Idaho. And the judge decided, and I, I think this is a ridiculous decision on so many levels. The judge decided that Boise could not outlaw urban camping unless it had a place for those people without homes to go. And that threw an entire monkey wrench into the homeless industry, into municipalities' abilities to legislate things on homelessness. It's been an absolute nightmare. And I, I, I wish a city would challenge it, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I, I don't, there's nothing in the Constitution that says when someone doesn't have something, you have to provide them that. I mean, that's, that's insane to me. And it has exacerbated the homeless problem a billion times. And I'm exaggerating there, but a billion times. Aurora is now considering doing something similar to what I said, not because I said it. Okay, I want to be clear about that. This is a coincidence in my view. But we're going to talk to Danielle Jarinski at about 1.35 today. Uh, finally got her booked on the show. She is an Aurora City Council member. We're going to find out where they came up with this, how it might work. And I got to tell you, I think this, I'm hopeful about this. I'm really, really hopeful because it's already being used in another city. It's already had some success. But I would say for the counties that border Aurora, Douglas County, uh, Denver is going to want to look at this. If they're going to do this and they're going to say, hey, uh, from now on, you cannot live on the street in Aurora. And if you come to try and live on the street in Aurora, we're going to go ahead and shuttle you to this place. It's going to be a large campus. They've got an industrial area that they're looking at, but it also has a bus line because that's very important. You have to allow people to be able to go and, you know, get a job and do a job. I, I, I'm really excited about this because it's different and it will have, I hope, a positive effect for Aurora. But the problem is, is that when Aurora starts kicking people off the streets permanently, the hardcore urban outdoorsmen are not going to, they're not just going to accept help. They're going to go to the surrounding areas. So I'm hoping that the surrounding counties, if Aurora can pull this off, especially the surrounding cities right on the border of Aurora, to partner up with Aurora on this, uh, provide whatever supportive services you can, but also have access to it. Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of positives here. Again, we're going to talk to Danielle Jarinski at about 135 about that. And then we've got our man, our word nerd, Charles Harrington Elster, coming on at two today to answer all of our word and grammar questions. Um, that's coming up later on in the show. I've got a couple things on the blog that I really want you to see, and I, I can tell you about them, but you got to see them. One, 
You may remember that we talked to the author of San Francisco, kind of continuing with the homeless theme right now. And San Francisco is a book about how hardcore progressive policies in San Francisco have essentially turned large parts of the city over to open drug dealing and open drug use and all of the associated crimes that go along with such things. Well, Michael Schellenberger, who has had one of the most interesting, I think, political evolutions, although I know he does not view it that way, because Michael Schellenberger used to be a hardcore progressive environmentalist until he started looking at the data that is part of the environmental movement. And when Michael Schellenberger said, look, if we're going to get to zero carbon emissions, we got to look at nuclear. And he was shut down by the same environmentalists who say, leave the oil in the ground, right? He has moved on to become what I call, I think there should be a category for this, just pragmatic. Can pragmatic be a political party? It should. But now he's turned his attention to homelessness, as you know from his book, San Francisco, which I strongly recommend. I mean, strongly recommend it. But he's not stopping there. He's got a new film coming out. I, I'm, I've reached out to him uh, with the information, the, the email addresses that I have for him, asking him to get him on the show to talk about this. But he's working on a new documentary called The Truth About Homelessness. And holy crap, you guys. There's about a two and a half minute trailer. And I've got it on the blog today. And it is simply him interviewing homeless people. And if this does not finally put to bed the notion that it's about housing, I don't know what will. Because he's talking to the people living on the streets and he asks all of them, what's your drug of choice, buddy? Heroin, fentanyl, meth, meth, meth. One guy says, everybody out here smokes meth. And another guy said, look, people are out here by choice. This is a choice. Talk to an eight-month pregnant woman smoking fentanyl. That's awesome. But I, I don't know when this is coming out. I'm going to make sure that I will let you know when it does come out. And I'm going to try and get Michael Schellenberger on the show. But you really need to watch this, this trailer that is on the blog today as well. Because it is just, it's shocking. I mean, it's, it's kind of stunning. And it shouldn't be. But it is. And Mayor Mike Kaufman, Aurora Mayor Mike Kaufman, and, and I love the way people on the left love to mock him for doing this, but I got to tell you, not that I didn't have a high opinion of Mike Kaufman before he did this, but man, he went and spent a week on the streets dressed and acting like a homeless veteran just so he could get a better handle on what actually happened. And he went to shelters and talked to people in shelters and those people, they're looking for help. But then when he went to homeless encampments, nobody wanted help there. They just wanted to be able to live on the streets, do their drugs, get their alcohol, get their free stuff from compassionate people and go about their business. And I think that's a big part of why Mayor Mike Kaufman is endorsing a concept like this, which would require sobriety in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the campus. You cannot come to the campus when you're strung out on drugs or you're strung out on alcohol, but they will help you get sober. And that is not going over well with the hardcore left-wing members of the Aurora City Council, but hopefully, or excuse me, blessedly, they are far outnumbered now by a much more rational and realistic board there at the Aurora City Council. So that is on the blog as well today. I would strongly recommend that you check this out. So I have two stories that I want to hit on really, really quickly. But you all know Hurricane Ian did just a massive amount of devastation in Southwest Florida 
It destroyed two bridges, one to Pine Island, which was a little short bridge, and one to Sanibel Island, which is a very long bridge in southwest Florida. And cutting those islands off made it impossible for residents to go back and check on their homes. And it also made it impossible for uh, service providers to get back there to restore power and restore water and do those things that make those islands livable again. Well, the Pine Island Bridge was restored within like five days. And now that Pine Island Bridge was dinky, right? It was really, really short. It was really just kind of a bridge right over a little canal. I've been over that bridge a million times. But the Sanibel Causeway is giant. And today, the Florida Department of Transportation posted pictures. Actually, this was uh, yesterday. I grabbed it yesterday. And they posted pictures of the somewhat restored Sanibel Causeway. And that is a few weeks that they have now restored traffic so people on Sanibel can go back and assess the damage. It, you know, uh, crews can get on there to start clearing away debris and restoring power and restoring water. And it's not a permanent fix, but it is allowing people to access their homes. It is allowing the island to start rebuilding and they will build the rest of the bridge as soon as possible. Contrast this to a story out of San Francisco San Francisco officials are celebrating the, the, the groundbreaking on a new toilet, a new public toilet in San Francisco that's just going to cost $1.7 million and take three years to build. And you it's going to have one stall in it. And honestly, I, I put together a house. It's a lot less expensive. It has more than one toilet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh, this is the yeah. Tajma toilet. Taj, you know, I, I called Susan's house while it was under construction the Tajma Susan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that was fun, but now we have the Tajma toilet. I, I'm just shocked. This is why Ron DeSantis is going to be the nominee. By the way, Th- this kind of stuff, this hurricane recovery, the photographs that are coming out, and the timelines that are coming out. This is why he is the, in my in my opinion, the odds-on favorite. And honestly, I just came from the Bay Area. We buried my dear beloved father-in-law, and I have to say. The whole place needs more toilets. Okay, <laughs> no, can we doesn't. just go there? No, oh doesn't. yeah, they're all on the streets. Uh, yeah, uh, Jeepers creepers. Yeah, I wanted to just keep taking photos and go. Is is this where we're heading? Yeah, because there's garbage. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, it's terrible. It's sad. It's ter- well. That's why it I'm excited to, so to talk pretty. to Danielle Jarinski about this big new plan in Aurora. To deal with these issues before we, Aurora becomes like San Francisco. Or before any place in Colorado becomes yep. that way. Any place along the front range. When I see garbage along the, the freeway, the highway. Don't, hey, folks, you know what? It's not a garbage can. Nope. Don't toss it out the window. You know, put it in your pocket. Put it in the car seat, in the seat next to you. How about this? When you get gas, empty your car out from trash. That's Hello. what the rest of us do. I'm just saying. What's coming up in the news? Uh, we've got fewer people going to college. How many... Fewer, I'll tell you at 12:30 right here on KOA News Talk Sports. All right, we're back and we're making our way through a very, very busy broadcast day. Don't forget, you guys, if you happen to be in Aurora this afternoon at Southlands, you can pop by between three and eight. Join Big Al in the Sports Zoo and Broncos Country tonight. They're gonna be broadcasting live at Buffalo Wild Wings on Main Street. In Aurora at the Southlands for Thursday night football. You can get Bud Light specials, giveaways, and win tickets to the Broncos Jets. Again, that's happened at Southlands. I love Southlands, by the way, but I got to tell you, you can tell the economy is not doing great, especially in retail, retail when you drive to Southlands. 
because there's still a lot of empty storefronts. But Buffalo Wild Wings will be full, full, full tonight. So a um, couple things that I want to hit on on the blog really quickly. I've got to talk about the fact that Britain, and, and we don't talk a lot about our friends across the pond because ultimately they don't impact us as much as some of the other things that are closer to home. But Prime Minister Liz Truss lasted a whopping 44 days. And I got to tell you, I am truly shocked by this. But there's a big but here. I told Ross this uh, as he was leaving. When she was first um, chosen as prime minister, I honestly never heard of her. <laughs> Just And I pay kind of close attention. I look at BBC every day to see what's going on around the world. So I, I, I was kind of shocked because I didn't know who she was. And I started trying to find everything I could in British media about her so I could kind of get a handle on what we're looking at here. And one of the things that popped out at me was that in a lot of the stories that I read at the time, her uh, peers or people that had worked with her along the process, they would use the word awkward to describe her. And they, uh, several of them, especially people who, did, who were not excited about her being prime minister, um, they, they alluded to the fact that they were confused as to how she had risen through the ranks because she was awkward. She was not a retail politician, meaning, you know, retail politics, if you don't know what that means, that's like old school politics. That's grip and grin. That's kissing babies. That's meeting people, talking to people. Retail politics is what Heidi Ganahl has been doing for two years in Colorado, driving around the state, just meeting people, talking to people. She's never been good at that. But with the parliamentary system, you don't necessarily have to be good at that stuff because you're not directly elected by the people. So Liz Truss gets into office as prime minister and immediately tries to institute all of these policies that are designed to pull an economy out of recession. And they have successfully in the past done that. But the problem is, is that inflation in the UK is still extremely high, like it is here. If our government took a move to do something to juice the economy, like cutting taxes dramatically right now, it would be the wrong choice. Don't get me wrong. I love the idea of cutting taxes. But if you cut taxes too much, you're going to juice the economy. And that means that inflation will continue to rise or at least maintain a very high level, which is what we're seeing right now. Um, so Liz Truss does this, or, or they release this little mini budget. It creates a huge kerfuffle in the financial markets. The, the, uh, the uh, pound crashes against every other currency, and they're forced to kind of walk everything back and say, okay, we're not going to do that. But instead of regrouping, and instead of saying, okay, we, we did too far too much, what do we do right now to deal with inflation so we can move to a point where we can institute these, these policies that can help, you know, revive the economy and move it forward. But instead of doing that, she flipping resigned today. 44 days, shortest prime minister in history. That's just nuts. Part of me admires her for maybe recognizing that she does not have the wherewithal to do this extremely difficult job and just decided to step aside. But part of me is super irritated because now her ideas, which were not bad ideas if they had been implemented differently, are now going to be blamed. So now we have to fight for the ideas again and because she did not manage this entire situation properly. Just bizarro story out of there. And we'll see who comes up next.
And we'll see who's next on the on the docket there in the UK. Uh, I have a couple of things on the blog that I that I want to point out. Since we're in London, let me talk about this for a second. Aaron, have you ever thought about? You're young. You probably haven't done a lot of international travel. Do you ever think about if you do? And at some point, I hope you do. I hope you and your lovely wife get to travel all over the world. Do you think about stuff like how do I not make a fool out of myself in another country? Not as much that, more so like I feel like an extra level to impress based on what they think of us in other countries. So not that, hey, I individually am going to act a fool, but because of others that have and just even without that acting, just because of the way they think about us, I will probably step it up. As well you should. Yeah. As well you should. And I tell people this all the time. The last thing you want to do is reinforce the ugly American tourist stereotype. And I have seen the ugly American stereotype in real life, in action. I'm in a hotel lobby in, in uh, not in Paris, in Frankfurt, Germany. Great hotel, beautiful hotel. But if you've never been to Europe, y'all, their toilets are so weird sometimes. And I've, I've literally walked into a bathroom in my hotel room and had no idea how to flush the toilet. Like, no clue. Like, I'm looking at it from all angles. I'm on my hands and knees. I'm trying to figure this out. And you have to call the front desk and say, I am so sorry. I'm not familiar with the operation of this Press toilet. Press one for flush. <laughs> exactly. And normally it's something so ridiculously simple that I always feel like an idiot. But... Well, I'm curious. And I think everyone else is. What was it? Well, in this case, there was a... Was that the button or the pedal? That was the button... I've been in places where there was a pedal, but it was kind of built into the bottom of the toilet. So if you didn't know it moved. You're kind of like it, in campers. It, yeah, it didn't look like it moved. Like mm. when you're in a camper, you look down, that looks like a pedal. But some of the fancier toilets, they kind of want to blend it in. Well, they blend it in too well. And if you've never used a toilet like that, you're like, I got nothing. I've probably had to call downstairs and ask how to flush the toilet three times in my life. And after they got off the phone with you, they go, American. Well, I'm always, I'm always, I try to do it with a sense of, and I'm always very, and this is probably how it sounded. Hey, I'm a little bit embarrassed right now, but I've never used a toilet like this one, and I'm struggling to figure out how to flush it. So I already kind of put myself on the, hey, I know I'm an idiot, so you don't need to laugh at me. You know, I'm already putting myself on that. I'm asking for help footing and everyone has always been very gracious. They get asked that question a lot. So I'm in the lobby of this hotel. Here comes a woman storming down the stairs. I mean, storming down the stairs. And she rushes up to the front desk. I'm just waiting for people. I'm not even doing anything. I'm just standing there. And she rushes up to the front desk. And in the most brittle New York accent I have ever heard. She's like, my toilet will not flush. Send someone to my room. I mean, screaming at the top of her lungs. And the guy behind the desk, to his credit, was like, ma'am, are you aware that our toilets flush slightly differently? And here's what you have to do. And he basically told her, and she stood there for an additional 25 seconds, just screaming in his face. And then she storms back up the stairs, back to her room, I'm assuming, to flush the toilet. And I looked at the guy and I said, wow, I'm, re I'm really sorry about New York. <laughs> I just went, I'm, I'm really sorry about New York. And he looks at me and goes, it, it's not the first time it's happened. And I said, I, I'm just really sorry. And he's I've dealt like, with Boomer Karens before and I'll well, deal with Boomer Karens again. You know, I've actually come to the conclusion over many years that part of it is the, the time change messes people up. So part of people, ugly Americans being nasty, is that they're in a different time zone, and frankly, some people can't handle it. 
I've seen people, grown people have like toddler like meltdowns because they were just exhausted, right? They just, their sleep got jacked up. They're running on no sleep and then they're just awful. But on the flip side of that, it's really easy now with the internet to find out the customs of where you're going. And I found a really cool article that has all of these little tips that different people from different countries are giving you. And here's one I did not know. You go into Paris, France, wear pants. I had no clue pants were a thing. They said, I'm looking at you, Americans. If you wear shorts, you're either a kid, a skateboarder, or you're at the beach, and there are no beaches in Paris. We wear pants all year round. Well, I'm sorry for you, Frenchies. Does it get hot there? Yeah, oh, yeah, it gets okay, hot there. Okay, well, I'm going to wear shorts. <laughs> so there you go. I, there, there are some go. things that you can fall within line and some things that, no. Conforming will not be done. I do think that it is incumbent on you when you travel that you ask the customs, especially when it comes to tipping, uh, when it comes to basic courtesies around a meal. Um, In some countries, if someone offers you food and you turn it down, that is the highest form of insult. Highest form of insult. And you have to know which countries that is. In some countries, if you don't burp loudly at the end of your meal, that's an insult. If you do not? If you do not. Because that's how you tell the chef that was delicious. So you're supposed to like Where burp loudly. In, uh, I want to say either Korea, in some parts of Thailand, it's just, I think it's Thailand that oh, that's part of it. Oh, we got to go. My yeah. wife is not going to want to go there. Well, but it's just a courtesy burp. And it's just your way of saying, wow, that was delicious. And I'll just say, don't look at me. It was a courtesy burp. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to do that all the time now. Oh, yeah. don't, it, was, it was a courtesy burp. I'm letting you know it was great. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we should start that here in the United States. We really should. But this list has all kinds of stuff. It has Asian countries. It has uh, European countries. It has some stuff from Australia. And it's just a really cool way to kind of look around and see what people are doing around the world. I love stuff like that. I absolutely love stuff like that. Oh, here's a fun Centura text line. Uh, When I, an American, visited Costa Rica about 15 years ago, the locals told us to spend $5 on a Canadian flag patch to put on our backpacks so we would get treated better. Yikes. Nothing like judging books by their covers, right? You guys, we've earned it. We've earned it. Talking to people from around the world about their impressions of Americans is so much fun. So much fun. We were at a baseball game one time, and there was three people sitting right in front of us, young people in their early 20s, and they had a video camera, and they were at a baseball game, right? So they're filming themselves talking, and it's obviously they're not just, like, filming for Instagram. You know, they're, they're filming themselves doing stuff, and so, of course, I lean up and I was like, hey, what are you guys doing? And they were all from Australia and they were traveling around the United States of America just trying American things. And they had never been to a baseball game before. So this was their baseball game. And so we ended up sitting there explaining baseball to them throughout the entire thing. And we had the best time. And as they were leaving, I said, what have you enjoyed about being in this country the most? Like, what is the thing you have enjoyed the most? And they said, Americans are so insanely friendly that we have made friends at every city, every event, every time we go somewhere, somebody like you starts a conversation and we end up having the best time ever. And I'm like, I kind of had that impression of Australia. And they were all started laughing. They were like, oh no, nobody in Australia is going to talk to you like that. No one. They said nowhere in the world. And this team, they worked for some travel show. And they had been to Europe and they'd been to Asia and they'd been all these places. They said, nowhere in the world are people more friendly than in America. But if you're not used to it, it kind of feels like you're being interrogated. They were lying to you. 
they were doing, definitely filming a nature documentary on <laughs> Americans. And it's going to be narrated by David Attenborough. Here we are at a baseball game. There's a fat man over there with his belly out. He's passed out. There's Look a couple up in the stands that is now having intercourse. <laughs> no. This is terrible. This was this was America, years ago. 2022. This was a lot. This was uh, probably nine, ten years ago because I was in Louisville. It was a Louisville Bats game, which is a great minor league franchise there. But it was, and I just thought that was kind of cool. I actually took that as a point of pride that she said Americans are by far the most friendly people in the entire world. But then I started thinking about it, you guys. Why are we so friendly? And I've given this years worth of thought, and here's what I've come up with. Real quick, do you remember where that game was? No. Okay. No, I don't. It couldn't have been somewhere like, you know, with the unfriendly baseball fans. Oh, no, no. That was, it was a Louisville Bats game. Okay, Louisville. So it was yeah, minor right. league baseball. It was great. It was so much fun. But I think that we are so friendly because we live in, in a free society. And we don't live in a place where people are trapped in some kind of socioeconomic place. We don't live in a place where we have to feel like someone else is coming for our stuff. And because of that, because we have a better sense of equality as a starting point than some other nations in the world where they have things like caste systems, where they have things like class systems that exist, even in the UK. You know, you're either born royalty or you're not. You don't ever have a chance to move up into that world unless you marry someone like Meghan Markle did. So we live in a society where you can be born poor and you can achieve great things. And I think that that makes us more open because we're not worried about someone selling us out to the government. We're not worried about someone coming to steal our stuff. We're not worried about the kind of injustices that people have to worry about uh, around the world. I, that's my theory anyway. I, and we're just nice. We just like people. I love talking to people. It's very, very fun. I mean, very, very fun. Really quickly... And I don't know if Susan is going to have this story in her news. I actually heard it on uh, Colorado's Morning News this morning. If you didn't hear the story about this guy, rideshare driver John Pastor Mendoza, he's been charged with 41 counts of kidnapping and sexual assault. But you guys, the first attack happened September 16th, 2018. And they just caught him. He freaking drives for a rideshare company. You have his license plate. You have his name, you have his phone number, you have that he works for a, 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 a ride lift company. I mean, what, what the heck? The first victim is assaulted September 16th, 2018. The second victim assaulted July 27th, 2019. Did they all just collectively come out just recently? That's what I want to know. It has that's, to be the that's answer. That's what I'm trying to find out because how in the world was this predator allowed to prey on women for four years and no one stopped him? You're talking about that guy in yes. the ride shares that how, I did the story on? Yeah. How, I mean, how did he get away with it for four years, Susan? How? You know, it's, it's really tough. And George Brockler, who is Fox 31's legal analyst, came out and said some people just, women, are not coming forward and say, hey, this happened to me. And that's a, it's, it's not a Shonda. It's not a shame. Come forward. Say it's something. The only way to get any sense of justice for yourself right. is to know that you did what you needed to do to put that person behind bars. And I'm not passing judgment. And that's Please what George is saying. But what I want to know is if, if we knew the first attack was September 16th, 2018, they already had all his information. Right. Why is he still allowed to drive for Lyft? Well, wait, 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 wait. They were, 
he may have had the app and you're right. I don't know about that. All I know That's is that I know. he 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 may have been able to do that. He was posing of, oh, as a rideshare driver. Okay. He was posing. That's the piece so I was so missing. no, he was posing. So I don't think he was employed by and I and I just reading what my reporters left me for today. But he was em, posing as one pretending. So he could have okay. driven up to a group of women or a gal on the street and yeah. said, "Hey, um I'm your driver." See, and not know, said I'm your Lyft driver in, or Uber driver, I'm your Gazette, driver. It says she took a ride share after being separated. Right. I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing no, no. that he was posing. He was posing. David Kale did the story for me and um he 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 did that. So he was posing as it, that person. It says Mendoza, a driver for a ride sharing app responded to women's ride requests and proceeded to sexually assault so, them. So, and I have more imp- stories. I, okay. I, there's more to that story. I'd yeah, like yeah, to yeah. know. But what's interesting is that the last hour I did the story and I um, had a piece also by from one of the Fox 31 folks and it said, hey, you know, getting into a car, first of all, you can, you can get out, but I've got to tell you gals and guys too, because you can be yeah. also attacked. When you get into the backseat of a car, before you get in, make sure that child safety lock is not on. Oh, that's a really good idea. Because if you want to jump out, if you're going to be at a stop sign or stop and you need to get out and you can't remember that. Yeah. So and you've you got to look and see. Door. Yeah. You can see it on the door. It's there's a, a little lever that slides over. Yep. Good advice. What's yeah. coming up in the news? So we've got uh, some RTD looking at making some fair changes. We're going to tell you about that. And DPS, Denver Public Schools, looking at shuttering some schools. I've got the story coming your way at one o'clock right here on KOA News Talk Sports. The Mandy Connell Show is sponsored by Bell and Pollock Accident and Injury Lawyers. Now, it's Mandy Connell on KOA, 8.50 a.m. and 94.1 FM. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the second hour of the show. And boy, howdy, do I have a fun story for you. This one's been really, really fun. Uh, So... You may not be aware of this, but Nancy Pelosi has been making the rounds. She was just on with Andrea Mitchell on MSNBC, and she took Mitchell to task. Why? Because the mainstream media is not doing its job. Telling Americans who are frankly worried about how they're going to put food on the table that the really big issue right now is Donald Trump and the threat to democracy. Now, yesterday I played for you, and if you weren't with us yesterday and you missed this, On yesterday's blog at mandysblog.com, I have a video that someone put together of a bunch of Democrats denying elections in the past. So if election denial is a threat to democracy, it's been going on for a very, very, very long time. But knowing that San Fran Nan is super upset with the media, I wanted to direct your attention to more data from an extensive New York Times poll that now they're kind of doing stories on in dribs and drabs. But one of the questions they asked was... The question was, and I'm going to read the question verbatim. Do you think each of the following is a major threat, minor threat, or not a threat to democracy? Okay. So they're asking about all these different things. They asked about Trump. They asked about Biden. They asked about the Republican Party. They asked about the Democratic Party. But you know what got the most people in all the polling to say that it was the threat to democracy? They asked if the mainstream media is a major threat, a minor threat, or not a threat. And the answers are thus. Major threat to democracy. 59% of people said yes. Minor threat to democracy. 25% of people said yes. Not a threat to democracy. 15%. No opinion. 2%. 
So a whopping 17% of people in this survey believe that the mainstream media is a threat to democracy. Now, 84% of registered voters named the mainstream media as a threat to democracy. Nearly 60% of voters called mainstream media a major threat. That, my friends, made me laugh out loud. It literally made me laugh out loud yesterday. Because this has got to be incredibly confusing. But here's my question, and this is a question for you guys about this. Does this indicate, and I realize that I'm kind of preaching to the choir when I'm talking to this audience, but do you guys think, not from a personal perspective, because I know for me, I truly don't, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't give a lot of credence to many things I see in the news until I can verify them from other sources. And I'm not talking about right-wing sources. I'm talking about other sources. And, and for me, most of it goes back decades. I mean, to, to the 2000s when I personally started noticing things that were written in such a way that were incredibly biased and things that I found to be unsettling. But I got to tell you, the way the media covered Donald Trump, who I, you guys know how I feel about the guy. If you don't, if you're brand new to the show, not a fan. But watching the way that they covered Donald Trump and watching the way that allegedly responsible news media outlets would use an anonymous source that they did not verify in any way, shape, or form and run with a major, major story that was designed to damage Donald Trump, for me, just said, they don't care about accuracy. They don't care about being fair. They truly don't. So why should I pay attention? The, the question I'm asking you guys, and you can text me, at 56690, you can call 303-713-8585. Do you believe that this survey, where overwhelmingly 84% of registered voters name the mainstream media as a threat to democracy, do you believe this means that the media stranglehold on public opinion is over? And I'm asking this with great purpose because we've seen the way, especially here in the Colorado-Denver metro area, how some news stations have given incredibly disparate treatment to female Republican candidates versus male candidates of another party. Not everyone. If you did not watch the debate from CBS4 that I put on the blog this week, I'll put it on the blog again tomorrow. That team, Sean Boyd, and I, I'm so sorry, I cannot remember the other gentleman's name right now. They did a phenomenal job because they asked hard questions of both candidates they asked follow-up questions when the candidates did not answer their questions. They did a really fantastic job, so they should be commended. But until fairly recently, things like newspaper endorsements mattered. But I just don't think they do. I think that people are looking at their, their own personal economies. I think people are nervous. People are wondering what's going to happen next. People are looking at gas prices. They're looking, thinking about heating their homes this winter. They're talking about the fact that, you know, I, I had a, a great, great meeting this morning with a wonderful woman who owns a bakery, and we're going to talk about her tomorrow on Foodie Friday. But she said, I'm trying to remember the exact price here, and I don't, I can ballpark it. She said uh, a year and a half, two years ago, a case of butter, and in her business, they use a lot of butter. Two years ago, a case of butter, I think she said, was $54. It is like $118 now. People are looking at things like that. 
That's what's important to them. They want to talk about the economy. They want to talk about inflation. They want to talk about immigration. And I have two things on the blog today that I grabbed from a different survey, not the New York Times survey, but I grabbed from the Harvard Caps Harris poll that recently came out. And they asked the following question. What would you say are the most important issues facing the country today? And coming in at 37% price increases in inflation, 37% said that. Coming in next, 29%, the economy and jobs. After that, immigration at 23%. After that, crime and drugs at 18%. Then we see women's rights make the first appearance at 17%. Healthcare, 15%. Guns, 15%. Environment, climate change, 14%. And then it goes down from there, right? Then they asked... What issues are Democratic Party leaders most concerned with? Now, just to remind you of the top three of voter concerns, that would be price increases, inflation, economy and jobs, and immigration. Those are the top three of voters. By a long margin, you guys. I mean, after the top three, everything goes down quite dramatically. So it's not really close. They ask what Democratic Party leaders are most concerned with, and respondees said, number one, January 6th. Number two, women's rights. And number three, climate change. Number four, guns. They don't even get to the economy until number five, and only 15% of voters said the Democrats cared about the economy. This is, this is devastating. So when Democrats run around and they keep telling us what we should care about, and, and I had, I actually put something on the blog today, and then I took it off the blog because I watched it all six minutes and 43 seconds of a clip from The View, and I got so irritated after I watched it, I put it on the blog and then I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to protect my audience from that kind of crap. Joy Behar, who makes $7 million a year, she's depressed, by the way. She's very depressed. If you want to send her a card, a note, a little, you know, a, maybe a crystal that can make her feel better, I don't know. She's very depressed because she sees the writing on the wall. And she sees that Republicans are poised to make some big gains in this midterm election. She actually said that Americans are not concerned enough about the threats to our democracy, and they should be. They shouldn't be concerned about inflation. They shouldn't be concerned about economic issues. And I'm thinking to myself, yo, lady, you make $7 million a year. Do you even know any people that are struggling right now? Do you even know a person that is, ask your housekeeper, maybe your cook, maybe your masseuse, whatever it is you do with low-paid people, and I just thought to myself, they really don't understand. They don't get it. Do they not know normal people? I mean, you know, A-Rod and, and his wife are young and they're getting started and, and watching them try to navigate things and watching other young people that I know try to navigate things, it gives you a much different perspective. And I'm just thinking to myself, they really don't know any poor people. They just don't. And it shows. And if Joy Behar wants us to worry about threats to democracy, I guess we should start talking about the mainstream media, which came in first. Numero uno. There is no greater perceived threat to democracy in this poll than the mainstream media, which is maybe why there wasn't a big story about it in the New York Times. I mean, no other issue even came in close. Now, here's what's interesting. So um, lots of people on the left, believe that Donald Trump and MAGA are the two things that are the largest threat to democracy. So they asked those questions. They asked, do you think 
The Republican Party is a major threat, minor threat, or not a threat. The Republican Party came in at 28% said it's a major threat. 39% said minor threat. 29% said not a threat. 3% was like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm taking this survey. Anyway, Democrats, remember, major threat to democracy, Republicans came in at 28%. Democrats came in at 33%. 30% say it's a minor threat. 34% say not a threat. So that's a little bit better than Republicans did. Now let's get to Donald Trump. You would think that Donald Trump would be the big winner here, but he's not. 45% say Donald Trump is a major threat to democracy, well short of the mainstream media. 22% say minor threat. 31% say not at all. 2% said, I don't know what I'm doing here. If you're going to be the person that answers, I don't know, on all the survey questions, why do you pick up the phone? And I always have a feeling it's like the same person. You know, like I call, I go, bring, 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 bring. Hello, would you like to take a survey? And they're like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, I got nothing better to do. I've never been outside my home. I don't read the newspaper and I only play games. But I'm going to answer this survey. Who are you people? My goodness. Who are you people? Um, I loved this today. I found it wildly entertaining. 71% of voters, by the way, told pollsters that they think democracy is in danger. I'd like to ask a follow-up question. In what way? What bills are being put forth that actually put democracy, our, our ability to cast a ballot, in danger? And don't give me the voter line Georgia and the voter line Texas, which are actually more liberal than the voter laws in our president's home state of Delaware. I'm, I'm so over that argument. Just completely over that argument. It's so dumb and inane. So the next time somebody's like, our democracy is under attack, just say, I need specifics. Just give me a bill number. Give me somewhere where Republicans are planning to take away the right to vote. And that all of a sudden, everyone in America is just going to go along with that. That all of a sudden, the Republicans have some... And by the way, if you're just joining me, they don't actually have this plan, which is my point. Ask them for the bill number. Ask them for any legislation that clearly shows that Republicans are trying to do away with the right to vote. Because I got to tell you guys, if any Republican tried to run any bill in any way, shape, or form that does anything other than ensure that people who can legally vote are the only ones voting and that people have access to that vote with as, as much ease as possible as long as things are safe. That should be the strategy. And from every Republican that I've talked to, that's pretty much what they want to have happen. But in order to win, the Democrats have to scare the crap out of you. Also on the blog yesterday, uh, the new lie is that Republicans are trying to do away with Social Security. Now, if you're young and you're listening to this show, you should be paying attention to this because I have been trying to volunteer to take myself out of Social Security. Like, let me take that money that you take out every single month and let me invest it and I'll be on my own. I won't expect any Social Security. But now I'm 53, so I'm really outside the window of where that's possible. Okay? A-Rod, if you get a chance to privatize Social Security, do it. But that's not what the Republicans are talking about. The Republicans are actually concerned that by, and I think the drop dead date now is 2032 or 2036. I cannot remember the exact date. At that point, Medicare will not be able, excuse me, Social Security will not be able to pay benefits at the current level they are paying them. 
So that means Medicare or Social Security is broke, right? If we cannot meet the promises that we've made, the system, the program is not on good financial footing. So Republicans are trying to figure out ways to shore up Social Security for people who rely on it. And wait for it, you guys. Some of the things they're thinking about doing would exclude people over a certain amount of assets and income from the program that they've paid into their entire lives. To ensure that people on the other end of the socioeconomic spectrum are able to get the benefits that they've been promised. And yet you have, our president tweeted it out a couple of weeks ago. I tried to I tried to go back into his Twitter feed and find it, but God, the inanity of our president's Twitter feed. I, I'm not gonna lie, I kind of miss Trump's Twitter feed right now. Because it's just inanity, one campaign talking point after another. There's nothing of substance on his entire thing. But not too long ago, he said, if you vote for Republicans, they're going to take away your Medicare and your Social Security, which is a big, fat lie. So they have to create a boogeyman. They have to create the scary other people, which is why they're running around telling people that your democracy is under attack with absolutely no supporting details. So let's not fall for it, people. When we get back... Aurora City Council member Danielle Jarinski is going to join me. Aurora is proposing a big, bold, different strategy to deal with homelessness in Aurora. And I got to tell you, I don't have all the details, but the details I have, I love. We'll talk to her about that next. Susan Whitkin, though, in the newsroom. Mm -hmm. What is coming up in the news? The trend of big box stores staying open on Thanksgiving is coming to an end. Good. I'm going to tell you which store has said, nope. That's it. We're out. One thirty, right here on KOA. News Talk Sports. Welcome back. We are uh, working our way through a very busy broadcast day. But hey, if you're looking for some awesome wings and even better company, join today, 3 to 8 p.m. You can hang out with Big Al and the Sports Zoo and Broncos Country tonight. They're going to be broadcasting live at Buffalo Wild Wings on Main Street in Aurora at Southlands. It's Thursday night football, my friends. You got Bud Light specials, giveaways. You can even win tickets to the Broncos-Jets games all in, uh, all on, thanks to us here at KOA, the official station of the Denver Broncos. Now, I talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the show, but I want to bring on Aurora City Council member Danielle Jarinski to expand on that conversation. And Danielle, first of all, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So I don't know if y'all were listening (laughs) because a couple of weeks ago, someone asked me what I would do about homelessness. And I said, look, I'd create a big campus so you had enough beds to get people shelter, but then you get people into this campus so then you can get them into different funnels to get them the kind of help that they needed based on what their situation was. But you build enough beds so you have enough beds for all of your homeless population and you can no longer say you can't you you can't camp on the streets. And then lo and behold, imagine my delight when I open up my Denver Gazette this morning and I read that the Aurora City Council is talking about kind of doing a very similar thing. What What is the proposal as it is now? Well, we, you know, we've, we've spent some time, um, a group went down and, and saw how uh, Colorado Springs is, you know, the campus that they have set up for their homeless. Um, another group went to Houston to see how uh, they have everything set up. Uh, they also have a campus. And then I was a part of the group that went most recently to San Antonio to visit visit Haven for Hope, 
which is another campus. Um, the campus in Colorado Springs is a work-first model. The campus in Houston is a housing-first model. And the campus in San Antonio was originally started as a work-first model, um, but unfortunately, federal dollars, had dollars have uh, you know, they've spoken and, and turned that now into a work or into a um, housing first model. I personally, Mandy, support a work first model. Um, and so I very much like the campus that's in Colorado Springs. And basically what we would like to do um, in Aurora and, and through through private funding um, as much as possible. I know, you know, taxpayers always get get very nervous when we start talking about things like this, um, but there is an organ organization called the Daniels Fund, and they're very involved with the Colorado Springs campus mm -hmm. set up in operation down there. So a lot of this would be private funding. Um, and on this campus would be all kinds of services, um, because one thing that we have heard from the homeless quite a bit is, well, it's, it's kind of hard to get help. Everything is scattered throughout the city. Right. You know, services are scattered all over the place. Um, you know, so we, we like this campus model. Um, and, and I think, I believe that most of council agrees with me on a campus that is a work first model. Um, and, you know, we help with, um, if someone's in need of GED or, um, you know, looking a lot of these homeless, they have expired, um, uh, like they have expired licenses, yeah. yeah, certifications and licenses. They, you know, so helping them like reinstate their CDL or you know their carpenter's license or whatever it is. I mean, a lot of these homeless are very skilled yeah. individuals. Yeah. Um, you know, and getting them to work. You know, sheltering them as needed. Um, but getting them back to work with a work-first model approach. Are, are you familiar with Step Denver? Have you ever been on a tour of Step Denver downtown? I've never been on a tour, uh, um, but I have heard of them. Danielle, go. Go, because okay. it, it is. Okay. I, I The first time I went to Step Denver, Step Denver is a work-first uh, opportunity when you when you go to Step Denver and they have provide residential housing for men with addiction. I'm going to give them a little commercial here. Um, they require you to have employment within a couple weeks. It's not an option. Yeah. And what it does is it begins to rebuild that sense of self worth, that sense yeah. of value. And it's really interesting to me. There's a there's a big um, area where the when gentlemen come to Step Denver first, they're in a kind of a dormitory style. Um, housing. So they, they don't have any privacy and the beds are kind of in a long row. But you can look at one end where the newest guys are and you see how they make their beds and they're made, but they're a little bit, you know, maybe a little messy. On the other end, where gentlemen who have been in the program for some time, those are hospital corners. You know, everything is perfect and in its place. And that has to do with them regaining their sense of self and they're regaining their sense of self-worth. And that's what you get from work. Mm -hmm. So I love Absolutely. this. And I think that you, right, right in our own neighborhood here, we have Step Denver to use as a model and they would love to talk to you about their successes. It's a hard program, but they are outstanding and, and have proven over and over again that when you tell people you can do this and we're going to help you, but it's not going to be easy, but we're going to be here to help you do this. It works. And that sounds like what you guys want to do in Aurora. 
Oh, absolutely, Mandy. And I will actually, uh, as soon as I get off the phone with you, I, I will put a message out and see if I can't get a group, uh, you know, of council members to join me to go tour Step Denver and, and see between Step Denver and, um, you know, the Daniels Fund operation going on in the springs, what we can make out of that. Because really the only option for us is a work first model. Right, right. Um, and one thing that they do in the springs that I really like um, is it's incentive-based. So when you first come in, I mean, yes, you do get a bed and, and, you know, things like that. But but even the meals that you get, Mandy, are based on your progress. Have you gotten a job? Are you holding a job? Are you uh, free from addiction? Are you, you know, it's all incentive-based. You right. get better food. You get better quarters. You get better everything, better views, better whatever, right? The further, the further along you make in your progression – to the point that, okay, now let's help you get, a, get an apartment right. on your own, right. you know, and, and get out uh, off of this campus. So I really like the incentive-based approach as well that Colorado Springs is doing. Uh, that's very similar to Step Denver. Um, you, you can okay. work your way into a, they call it the penthouse. That's the second floor private rooms. So it's very, very similar. Right. But I just got this, um, this from our Centauri Health text line. I'm surprised some of the socialists on the city council aren't in favor of a housing first model or no work necessary model. And to be clear, it's my understanding that radical candor Marcano is against a work first model. Is that accurate? That is extremely accurate with radical candor. Um, he, he is against anything that forces people to work or to better themselves. He 100 uh, percent, you know, wants a housing first model um, and wants big government. So, yeah, um, that, that would be accurate. Let me ask this question, because I live in Douglas County, which, of course, is, you know, borders Aurora. Um, would you be open to working with surrounding municipalities? Because I think that if you guys can pull this off and you guys can make this work, what's going to end up happening is that the hardcore urban outdoorsmen who truly don't want any help at all, as Mayor Mike Kaufman discovered when he went into homeless encampments and found people who really don't want any help. They just want to do whatever they want, live the way they want, just wallow in, in their addiction until they die. Um, they're going to be squeezed to other municipalities. And as a resident of Douglas County, I'm looking at this going, uh, yeah, I don't necessarily want an overflow of people who don't want help to come to my community but I would love to know if you guys would be open to the surrounding municipalities who say, look, you know what? If you're going to do this, we, we want to be in. We want to help. We want to be a part of this. Oh, absolutely. And don't forget, Mandy, that a portion of Aurora is in yeah. Douglas County. Yeah. We're not just neighboring. Um, you know, so, yeah, we want to work with, you know, Aurora spans Adams County, Arapahoe County, and Douglas County. We absolutely want to work with our neighbors, um, you know, and we want them to care, you know, not right. just not just start, you know, busting people from here to there and moving people around. And, you know, let's show that a conservative majority in Aurora can truly, truly solve homelessness and actually help people, not just house them. We can help them. So, yeah, let's take advantage of this. I hope Douglas County sees what we are doing on the Aurora City Council with a conservative majority, and I hope Douglas County will help.
Well, for me, I mean, I, I will be um, reaching out to all three Douglas County commissioners personally to urge them to engage with you on this stuff because right now Douglas County is trying to figure out what, what they're doing as Denver mm-hmm. is trying to figure out what it's doing. And I think that mm-hmm. in all honesty, Danielle, Denver should probably watch this with great um, interest because their problem is the biggest problem in, in the area. Uh, they have a huge issue and they're continuing to pursue solutions that have not only not solved the problem, but the problem has actually gotten worse. So I would hope that not just Douglas County, but everyone around would say, hey, you know what? At a bare minimum, we want to be engaged to see if this works. You know what I mean? Just like we want to be engaged to see how this is going to play out. Because I I don't think that um, unless... Um, everybody kind of buys in and says, look, we're, we're down with this. I'm, I'm not sure it's going to solve the overall problem, but it certainly, I think it will make a huge impact in Aurora because at a bare minimum, you're going to get rid of the urban outdoorsmen who don't want any help or any services because it's going to be too uncomfortable for them to stay. Question I got earlier that I wanted you to clarify. Um, somebody said they're never going to find a neighborhood that's going to let them do this. What are you guys looking at property-wise? Well, let me remind you that Aurora, Colorado is 42% undeveloped. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't worry about about neighborhoods. Uh, you know, we have a lot of land. Some things that we've learned um, visiting these other sites, um, Haven for Hope in San Antonio, they built in a really desolate area, but that had train tracks mm-hmm. running through. Well, when we're talking about homeless, we're talking about addiction, we're talking about mental health. They said if they could do that over, they would never, ever build next to train tracks. They have dealt with a number of suicides uh, um, because being by those train tracks. Also, the noise from the train tracks right. triggered a lot of PTSD and homeless veterans. Um, so we, we've gathered, you know, fortunately for us, we're hearing the mistakes that everybody else made. Right. And, um, you know, so so we're looking for this. We're going to be looking out for all of this. And and some of these campuses, too, um, you know, these are human beings we're talking about, first and foremost. Let me let me say that. These are right. human beings we're right. talking about. These aren't aliens, you know. Or animals. And some of these – or animals. Yeah. And some of these campuses, they're actually very nice. Yeah. I mean, they're actually very nice, um, you know, campuses. And, and – so, so when we talk about, well, neighborhoods are going to, you know, throw a fit about this or that. I mean, first of all, we have a lot of land. We have a lot of opportunity in Aurora. Um, but we can't go so desolate that the homeless are trapped. Know, won't go there. Or, or yeah, right. or trapped. You've got to can... have a bus line. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have a way because yeah. if you want people yeah. to work, they've got to be able to get to their jobs. We, right. So, so we're looking. We're very much we're very much on the lookout with all things in consideration um, with all things in consideration, but those comments as far as, well, you know, neighborhoods aren't going to neighborhoods are going to be so upset. Well, you know, I, I, to an extent, I, I understand that the concern, right. The concern, because we are talking about mental health and we are talking about, um, drug addiction. So we need to make sure that these campuses are very, very secure. Right. These other campus models that we saw not only were actively policed by local law enforcement, but also had their own private security. And so with that, I just want to remind people, these are human beings that we are talking about. These are not animals. These are not aliens. These are human beings. And we need to approach this with compassion, 
So I would just remind the public of that. Uh, Danielle Jarinski of the Aurora City Council is my guest. Can I throw you a curveball totally unrelated that I just got from uh, an Aurora City or an Aurora police officer who just said, um, how do you feel about putting all of the officers on 12-hour shifts? Because this particular officer is not super happy about that. Yeah. Well, well, this particular officer isn't alone. I mean, I've had a lot of officers reach out to me, Mandy. As you know, a lot of them reach out to me. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them listen to your show. So this is great, you know, crossover. Um, you know, what do I say about that? Mandy, we need people to apply to be Aurora yeah. police officers. The reason for these 12 hour shifts is to eliminate an entire shift, right? Right now we have days, we have graves, uh, we have days, swings and graves. Right. So this would eliminate an entire shift. Um, because Mandy, I'm going to be very honest with you right now. We have had shifts go out. There was one just two weeks ago, a grave shift went out with five office for an entire district. Oh my God. So I understand. And believe me, what, what's the right answer, right? Yeah. I stand with the officers. I will, I will defend this department. I will fight for this department. I mean, louder than anybody. Uh, but, but at the same time too, um, we have to cover shifts and right. we're just dying. I mean, we are just, the Royal police department has been absolutely decimated. Yeah. And, and it's disgusting, and it's exactly why when I took my oath of office and swore in, I took off running immediately and charged the mound um, and and wanted a new police chief. Um, and, you know, so what do I say? Is it ideal? No. Is this what I want for them? No. Um, but they're working a disgusting amount of yeah. overtime on the, with the three shifts currently um, because we're trying to cover three shifts. So while the 12-hour shifts aren't ideal right now, I feel like it will free them up from all this disgusting mandatory overtime. Um, At least I hope so, and I'll be watching that. And in the meantime, I mean, we are offering every bonus you can think of. We are doing everything you can think of possibly to hire Aurora uh, police officers. I am very vocal about my support for the department and the, the support that these officers will now have. Um, I've told officers, I'm like, hey, if something's going on, you don't ever have to worry if I'm going to show up. Chances are I'm already there. I'm already making noise about it, you know? And that's all I can do is try to change the stigma around the department. But but ultimately, it's not ideally what I want for them. But what's happening now, Mandy, isn't it's not working, and they're working a disgusting amount of overtime. Yep. Uh, Danielle Jorinsky, I very much appreciate your time today. Uh, you're absolutely right. We've got to get more qualified applicants to to fill these positions. And unfortunately, it's just a mess across the country. Danielle, we'll talk to you again soon. I appreciate your uh, taking time today. Absolutely, Mandy. Have a great day. You too. That's Danielle Jarinski with the Aurora City Council. Susan Whitkin, mm-hmm. what is coming up in the news? We've got Denver Public Schools looking at shutting down some schools. And we're going to have more on that, of course. RTD is trying to figure out how it wants to change its fare structure. And oh boy, inflation now hitting pet owners. And what are they doing with those dogs and cats? I'll tell you at 2 o'clock. Right here on KOA News Talk Sports. The Mandy Connell Show is sponsored by Bell and Pollock Accident and Injury Lawyers. Now, the master of the English language. Why can't the English? Why can't the English learn to speak? 
This is Please Tell Me I'm Right with Charles Harrington Elster on The Mandy Connell Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, dang it. You know the worst part about that is I sat here and thought about the fact that I always jumped in ahead of time, but I did it anyway because I'm excited. Charles Harrington Elster joining us again for another hour of him telling you you're right or you're rube. It depends what uh, what your angle is. Charles, how are you doing today? I'm okay, Mandy. It's good to be with you again. Good to be with me or good to be with you as well. Of course it's good to be with me. I'm amazing. Um, I already have a question, but I'd like to give out the phone numbers. If you have a question for Charles about anything word-related, grammar-related, he is the man with the plan. I also always put a link on the blog to Charles's website where you can find all of his incredible books that make great gifts or just interesting reading for yourself. You can call 303-713-8585. That's 303-713-8585. Or you can visit my Facebook page, the Mandy Connell Facebook page. I just put a post if you just want to uh, send it via Facebook or you can text us your question at 56690. So now that all of that is out of the way, I actually already have a question for you, Charles, or do you have anything for us today? No, you can just fire away. Okay, I have to go down and find it. It's from your biggest fan, Carol. Carol adores you, and uh, she's amazing. Um, She said, hello, Mandy, it's time for my favorite segment. Would you please ask Charles how... The dictionary gurus determine what new words or slang become acceptable in new editions. And this is something I've worried about. I, I've, I've wondered about myself. Are there meetings? What does that even look like? And who are these people? <laughs> Lots of uh, sub-questions there. Yeah. Uh, these people are called lexicographers. Okay. They come from various backgrounds, but they all obviously share a love of words. And they gather in places, uh, publishing houses that make dictionaries. Uh, the the best known one of of them, of course, is is the best selling dictionary from Merriam Webster mm-hmm. out of Springfield, Massachusetts, that that claims to to have you know continue the the pedigree or heritage of Noah Webster. But that's a very complicated story and a complicated claim. Um, but these people do have a lot of meetings, and they do take a lot of input from the public. So feel free to contact your dictionary makers. The <laughs> Oxford Eng- English Dictionary <laughs> likes to get input. Um, so you know they sit around and they and they they analyze usage. They they, they try to find out you know how how often and how widely. Or generally, right? You know, is a particular word or phrase used, and then they, you know, they decide. Well, is that is that enough? What they call currency uh, or widespread usage to warrant inclusion in the dictionary? Because you know, dictionaries, print dictionaries, right, are limited by space. Uh, but now that we have online dictionaries. You can just add whatever you want in perpetuity. A dictionary can be as big as you want it to be. But even so, certain standards are, you know, by these these lexicographical committees are imposed so that 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 things that are just fly by night here today, gone tomorrow, don't don't get you know into an online dictionary. You want to make sure that that something has you know enough uh, usage to to warrant. Uh, 
that kind of effort to define it. And and one other thing is uh, people, you know, don't realize that that. Uh, well, actually, that slipped my mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We have those moments as well. Uh, yes. I, I I always have this vision because is the is the gold standard the OED, the Old English Dictionary? Is that kind of the dict? Is that the grandfather of all dictionaries, or you, you know, where's the hierarchy in terms of commonly known dictionaries? Am I accurate in saying the OED is at the top? No. Um- there are two types of dictionaries, and it, by the way, it's the Oxford English, not the Old English. Oh, that's Old what English I meant to is say. A, is a language from before Middle English and I don't need ye to correct me on Old English, <laughs> okay. you scallywag. <laughs> that's not even old enough. I anyway. know. <laughs> the Oxford, two types of dictionaries, Mandy, synchronic, diachronic. The diachronic dictionary is the Oxford English Dictionary. It, it's it's unusual because it's historical. It will show you the word from when it came into the language to the present and give you all the information in between, variant spellings and, and, and so forth. Um, synchronic dictionaries are the ones we're accustomed to. American Heritage, Merriam-Webster, Random House, Webster's New World, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. These are the ones that we used to, we used to use, you know, that had, that had red uh, bindings, yeah. you know, and all that. Um, and we would give them to our, you know, graduating high school seniors. But uh, those synchronic dictionaries are really just a mirror of what's going on with the language right now. They are they're focused on right now, and they're the ones that have to grapple with the questions of what to include, what to take out, and, and you know how to judge whether slang has become mainstream. Are you familiar with UrbanDictionary.com? Yeah, there are a bunch of online dictionaries like that. Uh, where, kind of like Wikipedia, you know, everybody is unfortunately encouraged to uh, <laughs> to weigh in. I mean, sometimes it's helpful because you can't find uh, this oddball usage, as, uh, some some new slang or whatever, anywhere else. Uh, and it's sort of interesting to see what people have to say about it. But don't take it as something that's been vetted by professionals. I'm, I'm, I always wonder, do, do you think that the professionals even, like, Take a glance to see, because I use Urban Dictionary when I hear inevitably someone much younger than I am use some phrase, and rather than just ask them what it means and look like an idiot, I, I very surreptitiously, I go to my phone and I pull up Urban Dictionary to see if it's in there before I ask and embarrass myself. But, but do dictionary makers who are deciding about slang, who are deciding about whether or not it's entered into the language enough to include it, do they, do they look at those outside sources to maybe say, okay, you know what? This is here. This is their definition. It's obviously in enough usage. Is that part of the process? Absolutely, Mandy. Okay. Before the internet, uh, it was it was arduous. You'd have to yeah. collect and read a lot of print sources, and rely on experts in various areas who were reading those print sources. But now with the internet, uh, these lexicographers can can do extensive searches, and they have special databases that they call them, you know, a corpus, right? And, and, and so you've got just all these sources all piled together and you've got Google News, you've got all these things that right. you can search along with the, with the French stuff, the, the, the more, you know, uh, sub uh, culture 
kind of uh, usages. And, and, and so they, they have many more tools with which to, to work and decide. All right. We've got a lot of questions coming in via our Centura Health text line. The first one that came in is from Rick. Mandy, please ask Charles how his treatment is proceeding. You let the cat out of the bag that you were uh, battling some cancer, and now the listeners are worried about you, Charles, so they want to know if you're okay. Well, that's very sweet, and I appreciate it. I am going through quite a lot of pain. Um, I'll be a little more specific. I started with bladder cancer, and now it's, you know, it's been metastasizing to my spine, and uh, we're dealing with that. I'm going to, looks like I'm going to start another round of immunotherapy, and, um, you know, just Thank you to everybody for caring. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there saying prayers every night for you, Charles, and and I I hope that that helps. Um, Now we get to the simple questions. If I were or if I was, and that's all it says, so I'm guessing they're asking, and and both of those could be appropriate, couldn't they, depending on what you were talking about? Yeah. Go ahead. it's It's the old subjunctive. Which which baffles everybody, and the way the way I like to explain this is: listen, think of it this way: if you have a condition contrary to fact, that's the phrase you need to remember. Is it a condition contrary to fact? Therefore, sort of a hypothetical proposition, mm-hmm. usually, right? So, if I were a rich man, if I were a king. You want to use were, which is the subject, which indicates that it's a condition contrary to fact. You're not king, and you're not rich. Right. So that's the subjunctive, and that's were. Was is what most people go to because they don't understand the subjunctive. You know. So uh, all I can say is just think. If it's a condition contrary to fact, use were. Otherwise, use was. That's the or, but if, so if I was going to say, if I were president of the United States, but if I was a talk show host, is if I was ever correct? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, it can be correct here and there, but, you know, I, I, mostly you're safer with the subjunctive if you want to be grammatically correct. All right. Here is this one. What's the past tense of lie down? And I got to tell you, Charles, Until I was about 40, this is one that I struggled with mightily, trying to figure out lie, lay, laid, trying to figure out when it was an object, when it was a subject. I don't know why, but I I sat down one day and I made myself learn it because I got it wrong so often. It was insane. Please explain this because I find this still very confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. And I probably tried to explain it in maybe three of my books, you know, and, and about 20 of my articles. So it, uh, okay, you lie down. Okay, lie, the best way I can explain it is lie is intransitive, lay is transitive. Now, if you recall, the transitive verbs in English have to have an object upon which they exert their action. Right. right. So I lay my watch I lay my watch on a table. I laid it on the table yesterday, and I have laid it on the table before. So that's that's your transitive lay. That's the verb lay. You know, lay is present, laid is past, and laid is again past participle. Now, people have trouble with lie. Lie is the intransitive verb, the one that doesn't need to act on an object. So you can say, I lie down. There's no object there. You're just describing an action, right? So it's an intransitive verb, doesn't act on an object. So 
here's where they get confused. The past tense of lie, intransitive, is lay. Yeah. Like present tense of, of the transitive. So, you, you know, I'm going to lie down now, but last night I lay down in bed, okay? Not laid. Right. That means to put her place, okay? And here's where people get really messed up, Mandy. The past participle of intransitive lie is lain, L-A-I-N. Yes. I have lain in my bed in the past. And that's where people get completely bamboozled. I, I have to think of it in terms of are you are you doing it to yourself or are you doing it to a book? And I don't know why I chose a book, but that was the object that I chose when I went back to try and teach myself this. Am I doing it to myself or am I doing it to the book? And that's how I choose. But, man, that was just a struggle to figure out for the longest time. And I got I, I, yeah. I I got embarrassed. Think transitive yeah. transitive. Is there something being acted upon yeah. or not? Yeah. All right, that's a good one, and that was very, very clear. Here's one, and people can always text us or call. You can text 56690, or you can call 303-713-8585. And then this one, uh, this is kind of a Weisenheimer one. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, Vo- I'm a Weisenheimer. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Vocabulary-wise, is it wise to add wise to words, weather-wise, city-wise, etc.? <laughs> that's kind of cute. Um <laughs> I don't know. It, you know, you don't want to get into that too much. You know, any, you know, it's like, don't add gate to every little scandal. That, that drives me in insane. Politics, you know? But now I do it in a very cheeky manner. I just well, add gate cheeky, to things that know, don't deserve fine. it. You want to be a Weisenheimer? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but, uh, let me just, let me share with you something from the introduction to uh, one of my books. It's called What in the Word? Uh, subtitles, wordplay, word lore, and answers to your peskiest questions about language. And at the end of the introduction, I say, uh, I say, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to be a, like a barker, you know, circus barker, and get people to read the book, right? So I say, you know, don't take it from me, just from me. See for yourself, thumb through the book, sample the fare. I think after a few bites, you'll agree that your word-wise guy and wise guy of words is also a wise word guide. So I take it you're not opposed in certain situations to, well, you know, to if, wising if it up. If Weisenheimering is, is your is your mm-hmm. objective, then fine. Yeah. All right. Uh this one and we're gonna this will take us right up to the break. I always say, do you want I should? Most people say, Do you want me to? Am I wrong? So he says, do you want I should go to the restaurant? Do you want I should pick up our son? Do you want I should do this? That's a, that's a regional thing, I think. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not a dialectician, but it sounds very dialectal to yeah. me or, or regional. But regional is more like a lot of people within, within a certain area do it that way. This, to me, sounds a little more specific, you know, just, just sort of. Uh, I'd like to know if this person is Italian. Because the only people I've ever shit. I've ever said that I've ever spoken to that have said you want I should take care of this are Italian. Well, so, it could be there could be a lot of second language possibilities here. Uh, my dad was a was a world class musician, uh, you know, classical musician, uh, harpist, and he had all these great musician stories and jokes. And he told one about um, when he was he was he was in a dress rehearsal with Leopold Stokowski, you know, the famous conductor. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, who was who was also known as like a a real um, autocratic maestro, and uh, th- th- there was this there was this 
really old uh, Jewish immigrant, European Jewish immigrant from after the Second World War. Uh, lots of lots of great Jewish musicians came, you know, escaped Europe and 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 made great <laughs> helped make great uh, orchestras in the United States. But this old guy was, you know, sawing away at his bass. And and smiling and stokey as they called Stakovsky stops the rehearsal and and says to the the old bassist he says you sir why are you smiling and the old guy says maestro you want I should cry <laughs> so it could be a lot of things here okay. <laughs> That's a great story. I like that a lot. All right, uh, Charles, hang in there. We're going to be back. We've got uh, callers. We've got Susan Whitkin with the news. So hang on a moment. Charles Harrington Elster is our guest. You can find all of his books at his website that I have linked to on the blog today. Hold on, Charles. We'll be back shortly. Susan Whitkin, what's coming up in the news? Okay, there are all kinds of contests out there, we know. Well, now there is a contest to win a couple of flights to any place that United Airlines flies. How do I sign up? I'll tell you at 2.30 right here on KOA News Talk Sports. Well done, A-Rod. Little cameo. This isn't cameo, though. This is a remake of the song. Word Up is the song because our guest is Charles Harrington Elster, ready to tell you if your grammar is good or bad or somewhere in between. Charles, are you ready to talk to our caller? We have a caller here ready to go. Are you ready? You bet. All right. Hi, Stan. You're on with Charles Harrington Elster. What's your question? Uh, my question is or more of a statement that the word literally is so overused it drives me crazy. <laughs> And not to say anything bad, but you're guilty of it as much as anybody. I am. And when you said that, I was like, he's coming for me. He's coming for me, Charles. He's coming for me. <laughs> if it was a drinking game, I wouldn't last 10 minutes. Well, I'm here to help you develop an alcohol problem, Stan. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> what does Charles think about that? Well, I, I agree with you that it, it is overused. It is used in a way that is not in concert with its actual meaning, uh, language mavens or experts ha have complained about this, written about this for many, many years. Uh, it, it's one of those errors of speech that makes it into print and becomes widespread but still unacceptable to the more discerning of us users of the language. Stan and I have been working on it, too. I've literally been working on this exact thing. <laughs> so the fact that you called me out on it now, it cuts me to the quick, Stan. It literally <laughs> cuts me to the quick. Not really. I'll survive. Get the Band-Aid. <laughs> yeah. All right, Stan. Appreciate uh, just, Oh, go ahead. I was just saying that uh, every time we hear it on TV, me and my wife both look at each other and say, literally, because yeah. it's you hear it every second, but thank you. No Great problem. Show. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you. Not as much as I did before your call. Okay, <laughs> so uh, I've got a couple, I've got a ton of questions in front of me, and I'm trying to get to the ones that I find the most interesting. Here's one from a police officer. He says, collision, two moving objects hitting each other. Elision, one object striking a stationary object. He wants to make sure he's writing his reports correctly for accidents. Oh, elision. Um, does he spell it A-L-L-I-S-I-O-N? Correct. Okay. I'm going to, it's not a word I'm familiar with. Uh, illusion I'm familiar with, you know, but I'm going to just like 
whip out my dictionary here and uh, see if I can see elision. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and what what is the what is the difference that he's citing? He said uh, collision is when two moving objects hit each other. Okay. Elision, well, you know, actually, no, that's not true. right there. You got a problem. Uh-oh. You know, your car can hit a tree or a rock or something like that, or a stop sign, and, and that other object is not moving, and that's a collision. So we got a problem right there. Um, start. Okay, there is an elision, and it's a legal term. And it's in naval law, ah. the striking of one ship by another. Okay. So I don't think a police officer is really going to get involved in elisions. Hey, you never know. If you work in Florida, this could happen all the time. It <laughs> yeah, literally right. <laughs> happens every day. No, I'm just kidding well, about that. Literally, happened when they flipped all those when the hurricane flipped yeah. all those boats around. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Well, I learned a word today. How about that? I don't that think great? that's ever happened on the show before. Well, you know, I'm always on the lookout, and I, I, I always tell people, don't read around words you don't know, because all you're going to do is guess. Right. And, and, and guess probably wrong. Then you've got the wrong word in your vocabulary, or you've just, if you don't guess, you just miss out. You miss out on, on a new window on the world. Here's one for you. Uh, please guide us in the usage of beleaguer and belabor. Thank you, and wishing you healing. And they put a little Band-Aid emoji, too, Charles, so I feel that's very sweet, and I should tell you that. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Um, well, I guess the simplest way to put it would be uh, belabor has more of a an implication of being like Job in the Bible or something. Onerous. Set, yeah. Set by, by these, you know, these labors or these troubles, these travails. Um Whereas beleaguer is more sort of, I don't know, just the state of being, you know, I'm beleaguered by cancer, for example. Okay. Can you, so if you belabor a point. Yeah, then then you're working at it. It has that connotation of of just, you know, pushing something uh, beyond, you know, to, to a to a painful point. I'm not even sure I know what beleaguer means. I've, I've now looked at it so long. I, I looks, you know, when you start to look at a word too long or you say it too often, then you... Then you go, wow, that just sounds weird. It doesn't look right anymore. That's where I am with beleaguer. Yeah, I, I know that feeling, and I wish there were a word for it that I knew. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but yeah. I don't. It's a great concept. You know, it needs a word, doesn't it? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, def, a Random House dictionary definition of beleaguer here, and we can work with that. To surround with military forces, but in the sense that we use it now, mostly, to surround or beset as with troubles. Ah, okay. So there, I've learned something today. So that's two of these. And now smarty pants on the text line are texting things like literally listening right now. So now we've created a monster with literally. So there you go. Um, Oh, very quickly, I want to give this address out again. The united.com prize uh, website was united85denver.com, but no need to enter because I just entered myself and I'll be winning that contest. So there you go. Not to belabor the point, but yeah, you can enter. Um, when you belabor the point, you beleaguer me. <laughs> there you go. Question for Charles. Why do people always say, I want to invite you instead of the proper way of simply saying, I invite you? You know, I struggle with this every time I, I write an email. I, I'm t- so tempted. Of course, I'll just give the example. I write my doctors all the time. Right? Mm-hmm. So I want to update you. 
And I think that's okay. But I feel that I'm always starting out my sentences with I want to. And I try to get around that. It, it's a way of backing into a sentence, writing teachers often say. And, and so it, it is better to get to the point, straight to the point. Okay. Um, ch- hi, Charles. Better style. Better style. Yeah. Hi, Charles. Is there a difference between using the phrase all of the sudden and suddenly? Why did we move away from using the word suddenly and my best to you, Charles? Well, there's nothing wrong with using sudden, suddenly. Uh, however, you don't want that. That's a word that gets overused in bad fiction. So be aware that that when a bad writer in a bad piece of fiction is trying to generate some excitement, they will use, overuse suddenly. Uh, but there's nothing inherently wrong with with using suddenly at the beginning of a sentence, and it's certainly shorter. It's called a sentence-modifying adverb, and like hopefully at the beginning of a sentence, which people still, some people still object to, but I don't have a problem with it. Uh, but when you do a phrase, you know, why, why do all those words? Why not just do one word and can keep it more compact? And by the way, what you gave me was for that phrase – was all of the sudden. Yes, but isn't it all of a sudden? That's not standard. It's all of a sudden, not the sudden. Okay, so I because that looked odd to me too, but I read it as they come to me, so there you go. One last question from our text line, then I'm going to go over to my Facebook page. Oh, we're almost out of time. Uh, I've got better questions over here. Um, Why is bursitis and arthritis pronounced differently than tinnitus? But I think he's thinking of tinnitus, which is how people in the audiology business say it, which sounds... Yeah, we, we've discussed yeah. this, and all I can say since we're running out of time is please, I wrote a long discussion of tinnitus versus tinnitus mm-hmm. in my big book of beastly mispronunciations. I refer your listeners to that article. All right, one last question. Mandy, if a contraction is meant to be a shortening of a syllable or word group... Then why do some people, and he's talking about my friend and colleague, Ross Kaminsky, who does the show right before mine. He said, why do some people, Ross Kaminsky, pronounce aren't in two syllables? He says aren't. And I say aren't. You know, that's okay with me. I think you can go either way with that. I say, I say it in two syllables, like Ross. Um, aren't, to push it all together into one, that's fine too. That's fine too. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't see any any real problem with that. I, I I said that was the last one, but I have to read you the one that just popped up that actually inspired the laugh that I gave in the middle of your explanation. Hi, Charles. What's the past tense for weed eating with a weed whacker? Would it be I weed ate earlier? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw one thing on, on the last question. You know, you would, how would you pr- pronounce doesn't other than in two syllables? But then if you go to the South, can't is two syllables, even though it shouldn't be. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things in Southern speech that can take a monosyllabic word and make four syllables out of it. And that's the beauty. That. That's <laughs> the beauty of Southern speech because it rolls off your tongue like song. honey. There's this great blues song called, called When I've Been Drinking. Uh, Jay McShann does it with a couple of versions. And I don't know, the one with the female singer, she can take the word lie and make three or four syllables out of it. Well, I, I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. believe it. 
Well, it's it's a gift, really, Charles. And it took me four years of voice and diction training to get rid of my accent, so I don't do those exact same things. So, uh, you know, anyway, Charles has wonderful books that you can buy for yourself or, or, or as gifts. They're very readable. They're not uppity. And that's why I like your books, Charles. They're very access, accessible. Excuse no, me, I've got the hiccups. Up, they're readably uppity. They're not uppity and pretentious. <laughs> they're very, very easy to understand and very entertaining. And uh, I highly recommend them. I've got Charles's website linked to the blog today. So you can find him at charlesharringtonelster.com or just link on the blog. And I highly recommend all of those books. But Charles, you know what time it is. Now it's time for the most exciting segment on the radio of its kind in the world of the day. All right, now today we have uh, Rob Dawson, our crack newsman in the hey, newsroom. Hey. We have Brandon Cristal live from Buffalo Wild Wings, where the KOA Sports Zoo and Broncos Country Tonight will be broadcasting in the Aurora Southlands Shopping Center. We've got him as well. What is our dad joke of the day, please, A-Rod? Dad joke of the day. A ghost walks into a bar. The bartender says, sorry, we don't serve spirits. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. one was something. Thank you. That was something right there. Yes. A lot He's of something. Spiritual advisor. <laughs> oh, hey! oh, nice. <laughs> nice follow-up, Charles. Well played. Okay, what is our uh, our word of the day? And Charles, you pipe down till we all yeah. guess badly. Word of the day is a noun. Noun. Interlocutor. In interlocutor. Inter interlocutor. No, interlocutor, please. Locutor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. come on, oh, Mary Webster. No, interlocutor. Interlocutor. Charles know the word. Dictionary. I, I, this is one of those words that I've seen a million times, but I'm not quite sure. But does it have something to do with the way you speak? Or you're talking to someone, anybody having a conversation? Yeah, you're on the path. Means? Uh, wait, turn him up. I can't hear Brandon. I okay, feel like he's shouting. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, you were shouting. Oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, no, I was asking the five gentlemen at the bar if they know what interlocutor means. No. Uh, none, of, none of them no? seem to know. Okay. All right. Maybe Charles, he was on the right I know. path. I know what it Go, means. Well, of course you do. You're well, the smart word guy. Rob, you want to guess? Uh, coupling. Coupling mechanism. Uh, okay. Huh. What is it, Charles? Okay. Okay, so it always helps to know a little etymology <laughs> or had, you know, where the parts of your word co come R from. Right. So, so inter in a word means between. Means between. Or join. Okay? Yeah. And then you were right, Mandy. It has to do with speech because the locutor part comes to, from the Latin loquitur. Loquacious. Speak, speech. So interlocutor is a person. The O-R, is, a, by the way, is a suffix that indicates an agent like the person or thing that did something. Oh, like a realtor. Okay. Yeah, or a vendor. Or, you okay. Know, or vendor. actor is the person who acts and that kind of thing. There you okay. go. So, so you got All inter, right. you got you got loquy, you got or. It's a person or who speaks. With another person. Mandy does it all, you know. I'm giving myself 50% credit for that. I'm not no, taking full credit, but right. I'm giving myself partial credit for yep. that. Yep. Okay, our trivia question of the day. What is verjuice? V-E-R-J-U-I-C-E. Verjuice. It's juice, but it's virgin juice, so no alcohol. You oh. know what? It is juice. That's one way. I, I was thinking along the same lines, but it was going to go a little bluer, and I'll yeah. stick a, stay away from it. I'm going to say the sour, it is, I'm giving you the actual definition. It is the sour juice that comes from unripe grapes, crab apples, oh. or other sour fruit. 50% credit. You go. Right, right, All right, right, you get 50%, take it. 
All right, what's our Jeopardy category? Monday is fun day. Now, Rob, you know you have to shout your name out, and then you have to be called, and then you right. have to answer in the form of a question. Okay, yes. just checking. Okay. The U.S. celebrates this holiday on the first Monday of September. Mandy. Mandy. Brandon, Brandon, what Brandon. is Labor Day? Correct. Named for its online bargains, it's the Monday Mandy. after Mandy. What is Cyber Monday? Correct. What? Am I <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, A little delay. bit of a delay um, for Brandon. <laughs> this familial pop group hit number one in 1966. Brandon, 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 Brandon. BK? Oh. <laughs> oh go ahead, No, family? no. Go ahead. Who are the Partridge family? Wrong. Oh, my delay didn't happen. Go ahead and say the rest of the question, please. This familial pop group hit number one in 1966 with Monday Maybe. Monday. Who are oh, the mamas, mamas and the papas? Correct. Uh, just to make sure Charles used to with us, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, yeah, Rob, Rob, right. We'll slow in the Jeopardy <laughs> trigger. Oprah.com lists 15 Happy Monday events, including the July 1st, 1907 introduction of these bite-sized Hershey products. Mandy. Kisses. Mandy. Oh, oh. 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 Giving it to Charles. Give it to Charles. Though, Give it know, to Charles. Giving it to Charles on that one, even though he did not shout his name out, Charles. We'll give it to Charles. Unless your middle name is unless your middle name kisses. I'm gonna call you mm-hmm. Charles Kisses mm-hmm. Harrington from now on. That's your middle name. And finally. For show in the Eastern Orthodox Church, Mondays are days on which these beings are celebrated. Brandon, PK, Brandon, what yeah. are angels? Correct. Oh, what back to nine? zero. I gotta give a little hat tip to uh, Shannon Scott. Ah, there you go. Gallery, but no rules against that because we yes, there are actual yes, rules against that. Rules yeah, there are rules against that. I still lose. Those are not. I still lose. Still okay. taking that L. You still lose. Yeah. Charles, the joy is always. We'll talk to you next month, my friend. Thanks for having me. Always a joy to be on your show. Thank All you. All right. Be well. We'll talk Charles to you kisses. soon. And Charles kisses Elster. We will make room because, as you just heard, the Sports Zoo is broadcasting live from Buffalo Wild Wings in the Southlands in Aurora. They're going to be there all night. They're going to be uh, the Sports Zoo. Then you got Broncos Country tonight. And, of course, there's wings. Lots and lots of wings. Lots. They're go- wild. Yeah, they're wild. They're, they're wild and delicious. So go check and it out. And it's a sports equinox, Mandy. What? you got hockey games that count. Hockey games that count, baseball games that count, a basket, basketball games that count, and a football game. Only the 26th time ever, all four sports are playing meaningful games, not preseason games. And you can go watch it with the gang at Buffalo Wild Wings in Aurora Southlands. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Keep it right here on KOA News Talk Sports.